This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. We're entering the last week of the 2023 legislative session, but that doesn't mean there's nothing going on. Now, of course, that we've reached the end, it's uh, the pace has picked up. You can feel the deadlines. The days go longer. That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. On Saturday, the House of Delegates met in an extended session and took up several major bills. The first was an effort to shore up the Public Employees Insurance Agency. Recently, hospitals and providers have announced they would stop accepting the insurance plan. To fix it, Senate Bill 268 would require a minimum 110% reimbursement of the Medicare rate for all providers. On the other hand, it would increase employee premiums by roughly 25%. Spouses who have insurance available through their own employers would have to pay an additional $147 a month to stay on the plan. The House also approved its own version of a 2024 budget, reducing the governor's proposal by about $250 million to account for other priorities. The House unanimously approved an amendment, Senate Bill 423, which would increase the annual salaries of members of the West Virginia State Police and public school teachers by $2,300. The pay raises would become effective July 1st. The House also approved House Bill 2526 to cut $754 million in taxes. Personal income tax rates would be cut by about 21% across all tax brackets, retroactive to January 1st, 2023. Taxpayers would receive a 100% tax credit on their vehicles when they pay personal property taxes, and small businesses would be able to claim a 50% tax credit against personal income taxes or the taxes paid on machinery, equipment, and inventory. Disabled military service veterans would receive a refundable tax credit against their personal income taxes for real property taxes paid on their homes. Model trains have grown from a child's toy to an enduring passion for adults. Folkways reporter Zach Harold visited with the Kanawha Valley Railroad Association for Inside Appalachia and has this. Sometime in the 1970s, a group of model railroad enthusiasts in Charleston, West Virginia, started getting together at the local Presbyterian church to talk trains. As the club grew, they found a bigger space where they could set up little dioramas for their engines and cars to traverse. But then in 1998, the Kanawha Valley Railroad Association got a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. The county commission gave them some money to build a brick-and-mortar clubhouse, and members decided to use that new space to build one big permanent model train layout. So, like the still-driving men who once tamed the West Virginia mountainsides, they set to work. They built huge tables where they laid track and wired it up to electricity. They crafted rock outcroppings from stacks of ceiling tiles that they roughed up with wire brushes. 
though sometimes they'd just find a nice-looking rock outside and add that to the layout. They built houses and businesses and barns, coal tipples, a replica of the Hawk's Nest Dam. They made thousands of trees from white polyfiber stuffing that they dipped in watered-down school glue and rolled around in ground-up green foam. Completing the layout took thousands of hours, over about five years. But in the end, the club filled the space wall-to-wall with the communities of Charleston, Elkview, and Thurmond, all at 187th scale. And you can see it. Just stop by any given Sunday from 1 to 4 p.m. for the club's weekly open house. Admission is free, though donations are appreciated. I mean, it's not only for us to enjoy, but it's also for for the community to enjoy. I mean, not everybody can have one of these in their basement. That's Anthony Parrish. He's been a member of the club since the late 1980s and helped build this place. He says club members have created a little game for visitors to help them fully experience the layout and all its detailed complexity. Um, We have like a little uh, see if you can find it sheets that we give our visitors to see if they can find all the little detail that we have out here. There's one scene here where there's a uh, old moonshine still located in the forest uh, in an area where you wouldn't really think to look for a moonshine still. Uh, you got rock climbers and stuff. Uh, there's a barber shop. Look really closely and you'll start to notice something besides those Easter eggs. Is that a 57 Chevy crossing the Southside Bridge in Charleston? There's the Kanawha County Courthouse, but where are all the high-rise office buildings and Haddad Riverfront Park? Well, see, this model doesn't just capture the landscape of southern West Virginia. It captures a moment in time. A single sunny afternoon sometime in the late 1950s or early 1960s. The club's old-timers did the majority of work on this model, and this was their way of remembering and reliving a little bit of their youth. But that doesn't mean the club is stuck in the past. Because as you stand there marveling at the West Virginia of yesteryear, along comes a Norfolk Southern diesel locomotive, just like the one you might see chugging down the tracks today. It belongs to Austin West. At 15, he's one of the group's youngest members. The engines that I have are ones that's actually been in my backyard that I've seen. And they've really, I'm really like, man, I want to have that. And now I actually can. Austin doesn't have a layout at home. So the one here at the clubhouse gives him somewhere to run his trains. And the club also has train cars and digital controllers that members can borrow, greatly reducing the barrier of entry for what can be a pretty expensive hobby. But that's not the only benefit newcomers like Austin get from paying their membership dues. He's learned a lot from the more experienced members. Because once you get into this hobby, it's not enough to just collect locomotives and rail cars. You've got to modify them. The cars are mostly dirty and patched, stuff like that. And the front engine actually is supposed to look like it caught on fire, like the real thing. It's all in making the locomotive look real. You can hear the rest of that story on our website. Meanwhile, the Kanawha Valley Railroad Association will host its 17th annual Model Train and Craft Show in Charleston on March 11th and 12th. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 751.
partly sunny skies today. Highs in the 60s and 70s. Chance of rain tonight with lows in the 40s and 50s. Light rain early tomorrow with gradual clearing highs in the 40s and 50s. Support for the weather forecast is provided by the attorneys at Taurus Save a Law, representing firefighters, police officers, and West Virginia families. Information at TaurusSaveAlaw.com. We're entering the last week of the regular legislative session. There is still a lot to be accomplished. On Friday for the legislature today, reporters Chris Schultz and Emily Rice sat down with Brad McElhenney from West Virginia Metro News to get a feel for how things have gone. How has the session shaped up? Is it anything like you expected? Yeah, well, sort of. I mean, that, that first week, there was a big rush, particularly in the Senate. They They introduced and dealt with 23 bills on their first day floor session, including some big ones, uh, like splitting DHHR. And then it felt like things got a little bit bogged down after that. It was a little slower. And now, of course, that we've reached the end, it's uh, the pace has picked up. You can feel the deadlines. The days go longer. And there's a lot still on the agenda. I I know we're going to talk about them, but reconciling the budget, which is the big thing we got to do, the 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 tax bill that has morphed a bit since the governor first talked about it, still in the air, uh, pay raises for public employees, and a bill that does a variety of things to the public employees insurance agency. So a lot going on. Yeah, we're certainly going to talk about all that, but I'd be remiss if I didn't give Emily the same opportunity. I mean, how's this session been for you? Absolutely. Well, it's been a whirlwind, and as the health reporter, I've had a lot to uh, keep up with. But I think one of the more interesting things I've seen is... Uh, public participation, getting interested in the bills and how they're actually going to affect them directly. And also, the um, I think there was a little bit of assumption that with the supermajority, things were going to be you know smooth sailing to a certain extent. And we've hit a few road bumps in the past uh, couple of weeks with just interesting democratic process stuff for uh, us political nerds. So... Yeah, and I mean, Brad, you mentioned, you know, that very first day, January 11th, we saw the Senate pass, uh, for example, a a PIA hospital reimbursement bill that's still being discussed, if I'm not mistaken, by the House, or did they pass that this week? There's there's so many, I don't expect either of you to actually... That actually did pass, but it it wound its way into a broader PEIA bill dealing with that entire section of code. That took almost the entire session, even though it was out of the Senate on the first day. So, I mean, let's get into this because we're going to try and get through as much as we can uh, before our time runs out. Um, So speaking of pace, I mean, crossover day was this week. And so we had a a weekend session on Saturday and we got, uh, as you uh, laid out for us just now, budget, PEIA, pay raises. I mean, take your pick. Which one of those jumped out at you on Saturday? Mm, Well, yeah, the the Senate dealt with all of those this past Saturday and now the House lines up this Saturday to to deal with many of the same issues because of the crossover day. And Senate Finance Chairman Tarr describes 
three of them as sort of a three-legged interconnected stool. With the PEIA bill, public employees can expect their premiums to come up, but there is meant to be a $2,300 across the board pay raise to absorb some of that. And then also the, the tax cut bill is meant to give every West Virginian a tax break, leading with a 21.25% personal income tax break. But the question with that is, with those tax cuts, what can the state still afford to do for the services that West Virginians expect? So a lot of intertwined activity. Right, and, and the budget is kind of, as you were saying, balancing on this stool on top of these three contingencies. Um, so, I mean, we've seen, or we're actually about to see action on PEIA, as you mentioned, tomorrow. Uh, and, and Emily, you mentioned public uh, interaction. We saw the unions come out and, and voice their opinion just this morning. Uh, can you give us any idea, Brad, on where any of this stands? Because it seems like you can't finish one without finishing the other cart before the horse. I mean, where are we at with these? Most of them are on their way to passage in the House of Delegates on Saturday. And there are some minor changes to some of them, so that'll need to be reconciled in the Senate. But PEIA um, seems to be headed toward passage that was maybe under some political question in the House because those districts are so small. And in many of them, public employees, the school board, those are the main employers in a lot of these House districts. So uh, to, to my mind, there was some question about House acceptance of that PEIA bill, but it seems to be moving forward. Uh, the pay raise, which is $2,300 across the board, that's a specific bill that, that deals with the pay raises for teachers and state police because their pay scales are in code. Other state employees are meant to be dealt with more generally by the budget, so that's a little bit of a leap of faith for the agencies. And th there was such fighting early on about what shape the tax bill would be but now there seems to be uh, general acceptance among the governor, Senate leadership, and, and the House of Delegates. It, it is, again, different from what the governor proposed. He had said he wanted to do a 50% personal income tax cut over three years, and that was it. This is a little broader. This includes an income tax cut, but also a credit on your personal property tax on your vehicles, good news for us, <laughs> as well as small businesses sort of narrowly defined getting a property tax cut on their business equipment and inventory. And, and that definition is important because it's meant to be the businesses that truly are rooted in West Virginia. So uh, a, a little broader tax cut than what had originally been described, but it's beginning to sound politically feasible. That was Brad McElhenney speaking with Chris Schultz and Emily Rice for the legislature today. To hear the rest of that interview, visit our website, wvpublic.org. Tune in every evening, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. on radio and television to get updates on the legislative session. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org.
Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, Randy Yoey, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.